You're off, Stephen. Wait, it only took 17 times for me to to still not get it. We're one. one. Okay. One, two, a one, two, three, and do-do-do-do-do. Never mind. Okay. Stephen's um, <laughs> Caucasian afflictions are, are setting in this afternoon, so we will not be doing the extended version of our intro music. I am Frankie French. And I'm and- Stephen Campbell. And this is Nonprofits. Welcome to episode 916. Wow. 17. That was close. You were just 900, 900 off. Um, big news for, for the day. I, I do have a mustache. <laughs> okay, just for the record, that is a gag mustache that he taped onto his face, which I find weird. It's, I, I think, I don't know if I'm going to keep it yet. You know how you, and when you're in a Zoom call, you, you just spend the whole time looking at you? <laughs> well, <Not> duh. <laughs> you just like want to make sure that you look good you're just like just just taking taking advice and you're just like oh i look very pensive i don't know how i feel about the mustache steven i'm not sure yet it's very new i don't i um i think it it looks college professory but like a college professor that's definitely sleeping with the students 100 percent. that's happening like absolutely no question like it's like it's not like a will they won't they it's like oh he's definitely and let's figure out who it is that's what what about with no with no glasses do i worse that's way worse yeah okay the glasses says the glasses say hey I'm trying to gain your trust before I throw you into the back of this white panel van. Oh my, That's really? What the last <laughs> I, you always wonder, whenever you walk down the street and you're like, oh, this person's probably thinking that I look this way, but then you get in your head and you're like, no, those people aren't thinking about you. They have their own world, but you have confirmed. Oh that. no, they're definitely going, yes, that dude's a creep. Thank God I'm seeing him in daylight and not at night so I don't have to oh, run. That's not the vibe me. I want to give. That's not well, the vibe <laughs> of the show. <laughs> well, <laughs> First off, let's just be very clear. You have always been adorable. Let's be very clear about that. I recently saw a pic- How old were you in that picture that I saw? Ooh, let me see if I can pick it up. It's like, please I pull was, it up. I was like four years old. I think it was, no, no, no. I think it was my first day of kindergarten because um, I had my backpack is what I called, (laughs) what I called my backpack. Which is the cutest thing. And so just for the record, uh, nonprofits family, I have had this longstanding theory that Steven was absolutely adorable when he was little, but I've never seen any visual proof. Then I see this photo on Insta. (laughs) Oh, yeah. For those of you that that are listening to this on the audio version, I'm rocking a pack pack, which is twice the size of me. Um, a blue blue jacket with little puffy puffy. Well, you don't have to describe it because if you're watching, uh, if you're listening just to the audio, go to uh, Nonprofits Pod on Insta, and I'll post the picture on there. Hell yeah! And then you guys can see what we're talking. And while you're there, click that follow button. See that? See how we do that? Oh, we got it. We're, we're yeah. learning. We're, we're learning. learning. We are a house of learned doctors. That's what I, I've decided. I um, I've been, I've been like watching people on the news that are like, they're doing things that are more risky than pre-COVID. Like, like what? Why are you smoking hookah in a sauna with strangers? Like, I, <laughs> is that that's not a real thing that happened? I, no, but just like Miami, <laughs> Miami was crazy. It was like the it was like the fire marshal would have got pissed, let alone the CDC. I um, it's 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 bananas. We're 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 all do- we're all doing the best we can. We're not all doing the best we can. Some of us are doing the best we can, and some of us are like you know what, I'm in Texas or Florida and I don't even care. Like that's what's ha- that's a more accurate or apt description of what's yeah. happening. Well, you know, but, but we, we're, we're doing great. I've got a mustache. Um, Which I, I, and I was busting your balls earlier. I like the mustache. Like, I feel like keep it. Um, and may, can you like shape it? Like this with my lips? No, no. Like, oh my God. Okay. Do when I- you go to a barbershop, 
Then they, you know how they line you up? Included in that lineup is a, a beard and mustache trim. Actually, I've never gone to the to get a haircut and ask for a, a shape up or a lineup. You've That's, never you've never gone to a black barber shop. You should. Well, okay. So the only time I went to a black barber shop, I took off my hat and he said, "Are y'all still spiking your hair?" <laughs> By y'all, did he mean white people? Yeah, he did. <laughs> and, and it was just like I, but I was there and I was like, "No, we're not still spiking our hair." He's like, "We had a meeting and none of us are doing that anymore." And and it was it, it we we it we didn't mesh. My hair and his his cutting capabilities didn't mesh incredibly. That's, so he was a he was a terrible barber because I've never met any black barber that can't cut any head. Like seriously, that's weird. Maybe that guy sucks. Uh, I don't know. I got it. I go. I at the the bar the barber shops that do the best with my hair are mm-hmm. typically uh, the Vietnamese joints and the Latin joints. Okay, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I dig it. So how was your week, Stephen Campbell? You were just sitting over there just growing a face stash? Um, you know, I did I did no comedy because I I did like a week of comedy where it was like a lot of outdoor stuff, but I got the vaccine last Thursday. Oh, good for you. Yep, got it number one. And so um I just figure I'm, I'm just locking myself in an apartment for a month, just, just doing that last home stretch. And then I'm, I'm giving mustache kisses to whomever will take them um, as soon as I am, I am allowed, but maybe that's see, even saying stuff like that. Maybe that's something I would never have said if I didn't have a mustache. You wouldn't have. Is the mustache making me creepy? It's changing you. Yeah, it's definitely, uh, it's, it's seep. I think it's seeped into your bloodstream. Uh, hey, husband. How's Charles doing? Um, he's doing well. We're live on our show, so don't respond. Bye, husband. Okay. I love you, Frankie. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, there it is. Oh, he, he just said he loves you, too, Stephen. Yay. Oh, you, Charles. <laughs> that would have been the perfect time to murder you after this episode. Because, because he's got he's proof. Time stamps. <laughs> I loved her at exactly what time is it? <laughs> right. At exactly six forty-one. Why at seven forty-five would I murder her? Right. Yeah, that's that's valid. How how are you doing? You said uh, things things are looking up, huh? Yeah, I'm starting to feel better. I gave myself. I, I cut off my depression yesterday. I told myself yesterday was the last day I was allowed to be sad and not do stuff. Um, and then today I was productive. So yeah, I'm working on stuff for nonprofits that I'm excited about. And um, I'm excited for our guest today, the Teak Fellowship. You got the Teak Fellowship in the house. Okay. Um, I think that the, especially with the, like the working from home stuff, like it's just getting out of bed is, is the number one. It is. Yeah. Cause early on I would have all of my stuff right by my bed. And so I would wake up and I wouldn't even leave my bed. And I would just like get my computer, like whatever it is, my books, anything I needed. Yeah. <laughs> and I would just work from work from bed. I would find myself getting sore like I had worked out, but it was because I had laid down for <laughs> eight hours outside of sleep. <laughs> You're like, I'm getting bed sores and I'm not sick. What's it's happening right now? Not, not okay at all. I did my first like workout, like a real workout on Sunday and I felt like somebody took a sledgehammer to my chest. Oh, that was me. I came by your house and took a sledgehammer to your oh, chest. Okay. I didn't All think right. you'd well, notice. Then, <laughs> then I wore the workout pretty well. <laughs> like, oh, well, then I'm fine. Aside from that, I'm, I'm good. Get your teak on. Get your teak on. Get your, get your, get your, get your, get your teak on. I'm sorry. That's just been like warming its way into my head for like the last 30 minutes. <laughs> Who's that chick? Beep, beep. Okay. All right. That's enough of that. Um, we did the uh, on Comedy Hub. Shout out to Comedy Hub. We did the the March. Burr, burr, burr. Oh yeah, I did not do that. How did how did it go? It was it was fun. I didn't. I sincerely didn't know what it was or what to. Um, maybe I, I had fun. I did win, so maybe that was why. Can, I, can you please tell our viewers who who you beat? 
No, I beat I beat a thirteen year old girl. He's such a monster. No. He went up against he a was... thirteen year old poor little girl whose dream her own her only dream in life was to compete and place in the March Madness comedy competition. Stephen Mustachio Campbell came in in a clutch and just annihilated this young girl's dreams. I no, she was she was good. She had connectivity issues on her computer. That's the only reason that. Oh, so even better. You're saying that the 13-year-old girl with limited experience would have beat you had she had better connectivity. Love it. Okay. I I refuse to trash talk a a girl that is underage. I uh, my mustache may say differently. That feels like ageism. If you trash talk people, I feel like you should just trash talk across the board. No, like but I never, I've never been. We we did uh, so through the summer. Uh, people that are listening, Frankie and I, w- I guess like for for quite a few months, we were doing uh, like uh, French roast, which we were roasting strangers. And I was a part of the show, but solely because I could not roast people. He can't. Stephen does not have the ability to be mean, and it's hilarious. Even if I would write a good joke, I would just look at it and I'd be like, oh, I can't. I can't say that. Like, I can't. I can't. Me, on the other hand, I'm talking about your grandma. Okay, please know it. I had, <laughs> like, my only in-person roast that I ever did. Um, I, it was against a comic in D.C. And he, you know, it very uh, has a lot of muchismo type of, he's pushing it out. And so I. Huh, had, I'm going to guess the comic. I'm guessing it's Martin Amini. You no, 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 it's you not. And no, it's not. I'm not, I'm not going to put him on blast because see, this is how I, I interact. But um, so I wrote a bunch of jokes about like how he had daddy issues. <laughs> and then I ran them by somebody right before the show. They're like, wow, you're really going to go there. I'm like, what? He's like, his dad died two weeks ago. Ooh. And I was, just, I was just like, no, whoa, no. And so then I was like literally on stage where he would say my, the joke about me. And I was like, well, well, you're you're just you're so dumb. <laughs> uh, like, like I had nothing. Someone told you it was chilly outside, and you went and got a spoon. Nailed it. No. See, okay. Well, that was way better than what I said. Like I Ugh. was literally, I literally would just call him stupid, and then I'd just be like, okay, now you go. Now you, I, I can't. Did I can't you did you win that round? No, I lost. I oh, lost. you did. That's surprising. I just, I can't. Just being mean to a human. The weirdest part is. Well, see, this is the thing about roasting, Stephen. I apologize for cutting you off, but I mean what I'm about to say. Here's the thing about roasting. Roasting should always be done out of your love, the love of the game, the love of the person, or just the love of the jokes, right? It should never be a thing that you're doing to be spiteful, hateful, or mean. Like, I would love to roast you because you're one of my favorite humans. And I would have so much material like oh my god hours worth of roasting fun but you would know you wouldn't come away from that like oh frankie hurt my feeling like wow hilarious you know what i mean because i love you like it should be done in that feeling and in that vein so so would you volunteer to be roasted by people yeah sure oh see i i I don't understand that wiring like there were so many people that we would do these shows for that like either their girlfriend would buy it for their boyfriend for his birthday or somebody would volunteer to be roasted. The idea of getting in front of people and being like, everybody, all my insecurities, let's and shortcomings. Talk yeah. Let's <laughs> talk about them. Um, I don't, I just don't take, I don't take myself that serious. You know what I mean? Like I spent a lot of years being insecure and uncomfortable in my own skin and all of those things. And I just grew out of that. I think, you know what I mean? Like, it's just not that serious. And so, and especially if it's like comics that I know, yes, I want you to roast me. So I want to see how funny you're going to be able to be, how see, funny but, and how original, like I love roast jokes. I just think they're fantastic. See, but I, I have a high pain tolerance. I don't like getting punched in the face, you know, like I just like, it doesn't, the idea. Can I punch you in the face now that I know that? Um, just as long as you miss the nose. Mm, I can't guarantee that. Never mind. I played, um, I played rugby for six years. And um, did you play in school? I played in school and then I played in like a um, division three semi pro kind of. Um, Oof, that sounds very removed from anything real. Yeah. Go ahead. 
the St. Paul pigs, <laughs> all the St. Paul pigs. Listen, so I had a, I had a, but I would get concussions all the time. I was always the, not all the time, but I was this, I was always the smallest person on the field. I was fast. So whatever. And, um, I had a game where, uh, like five minutes, 10 minutes in, I caught a heel to the temple and I don't remember the rest of the game. And they had filmed the whole game. And I started playing with reckless abandon, right? You're supposed to, like, stay in a straight line to maintain the defense. I would keep running out of it. And I would just, like, just just tackling people way harder than I should. You know, you're, you're supposed to tackle with a little bit more strategy, especially when you're smaller. Um, and so it's an 80-minute game. At minute 70, my coach takes me out, who is a, who used to play for the U.S. Uh, uh, national team. Of who, course. I believe he was a Navy SEAL. Just an all-around badass. Right. I, I go up in his face, and I was like, who the hell do you think you are taking me out? I were five minutes into the game, blah, and I'm still <laughs> screaming at him, which is just not my MO to begin with. Like, this is very weird. I'm very shocked at this story. But yeah, go ahead. So, so I'm like, in his face, just like, how, how dare you take me out? Because I would get competitive, but I would never be that guy. And uh, because, and I start yelling at him, I was like, you're going to take me out five minutes into the game. He's like, yo, we're 70 minutes into this game. And so then he realized what? like I, I had no concept of the last 65 minutes. And he's like, oh damn, like Steven's got a concussion. Everybody watch Steven. Steven right? Yeah. Don't and let so, him go to sleep. So we're up by two tries, two touchdowns. Right. And um, they have me sitting on the sideline. The other team gets the ball and has the sideline and has a fast break. He's going to score. I pop off the bench and hit him the hardest I've ever hit anybody. Like, and he's blindsided. He's this, the sideline. He doesn't expect anybody to come in. And I hit him. I hit him probably the hardest that I've ever hit anybody. Uh, Ball goes flying, both benches clear. And it's like an all Samoan team. So like Samoans are bad dudes. They, they can, they can really throw down. And so um, somehow my team talks their team down to not murder me. And so they they, should have murdered you. Oh yeah. And then, so they just put me in a van and then I just sat in a van for the next like 30, 45 minutes. Uh, What grade, what grade were you in? I was a senior in college. Oh, so you're talking about college age. Okay. Yeah. Did I, did I ever tell you the story about, I, I didn't play sports because my family was poor. Um, and I think now as I'm a, as an adult, I'm like, that was a lie. You guys were just lazy and didn't want to come to my games. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> so I always, I wanted to be an archer, um, not archer. I wanted to be a swordsman. A swordsman. Yeah. I want it. So I, I would play, I would put <laughs> this, <laughs> this is how big of a loser I was. So I was in, I want to say I was probably in like fourth or fifth grade when I had this dream. And so I would, I, I would take like stuff from around my house and go in my unfinished basement and pretend like I was having like a sword fight. And I lost one time. Uh, and I, yes, I did say I was playing by myself. Uh, so what happened, I was coming in for the attack <laughs> and I tripped and I slid into, so I was fighting these um, pieces of plywood that were leaning against the wall. Somebody's got it. I mean, of course, what are you going to do when the plywood attacks? <laughs> Hello. <laughs> and so I'm going in, you know, to strike with my makeshift sword and I uh, slid into face first, forehead first into this plywood um, resulting in a very large goose knot on my forehead, and no one even asked me what happened. That's my story. Like how big of a goose <laughs> knot you talking? Oh, a, a, an a extra large organic egg for sure. Like it was a nice size. Like that was me in fourth or fifth grade. You want to hear the comparison of Bootsy in fourth or fifth grade? Uh huh. This is how intelligence has shifted over the years. So my daughter, you all know, is Bootsy. Have I ever told you the Ponzi scheme story? Oh, yeah. Have I told it on here? Uh, I think, yes. I think during um, when we spoke to American Need You. Okay, so I'm not going to retell it. But it's, it's, a, <laughs> it's now Dan and Oye, our guests, are like, wait a minute. We want, I'm, you know what? I'm going to retell it because it's pretty oh, yeah, Go for it. So Boots is in fourth grade, right? So what, how old is that? Well, she started in uh, kindergarten and kindergarten first second third fourth so she is five six seven eight so she's like nine years old right and no she wasn't nine she was in first grade because she was in miss bonasso's class 
So she was smarter than me a lot earlier. Anyways, she's in first grade. So she's six years old. And I pick her up from daycare and she gets in the car. And she goes, hey, mommy, I need some money for my lunch card. So in her school, they had like credit cards that they swipe and then you, they would put money on the card to get lunch. Right. And so I'm like, OK, remind me in the morning. I'll stop at the ATM. She's like, OK, cool. So the next morning we get in the car. She's like, hey, mommy, stop at the ATM. I need 20 bucks for lunch. I'm like, got it. So I stopped at the ATM, give her the $20, drop her off. She would go to daycare first and take a bus to school. And then they'd bring her back to daycare, right? Um, so that I could work. So I drop her off. At the end of the day, I pick her up. She gets in the car. She goes, oh my God, mommy, look at these books that they gave me at the book fair. And I, look, I turn around and look and I said, wow, those are some really nice books. I said, why did they give them to you? I, I don't know. I don't know. They just gave them to They're completely blowing me off, right? Not wanting any additional questions asked. So I'm like, oh, okay. I kind of blow it off. Why? Because she's my sweet little angel who has never lied to me. She's just a a delicate flower, just six years old, little girl, just a loving, sweet human. Right. So on the way home, she says, hey, I need um, 20 bucks tomorrow for, I mean, for the book fair. And I said, what? And I said, but I said, Boos, do you need money for lunch still? She goes, no, 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 no. I need the $20 for the book fair. I want to go get some books tomorrow. I'm like, okay, cool. Next day I drop her off. We stop. I get the $20. I give it to her. She goes to school. I go to work, but it's not sitting well with me. I'm like, she almost said lunch and then miss and then caught herself and said book fair. So I call her teacher and I say, Hey, Miss Benasso, did Bootsy come to class yesterday and give you $20 for her lunch card? She goes, actually, I was going to call you. She only gave me two. She was late for class because she went to the book fair first. She came into class with a bunch of books and she only gave me $2.80 for her lunch. And I'm like, (laughs) so I'm like, okay. Her little kid brain was like, okay, lunch costs $2.80. I have (laughs) $16.20 that I can spend on books right now. I can be a few minutes late. I'll give my teacher this 280, get another 20 from mommy, get a book for 280 tomorrow and put the rest on my lunch card. No one will be any the wiser. Rob Peter to pay Paul, right? So I pick her up from school. I'm like, look, little Bernie Madoff, we need to talk, right? And she goes, and seriously, she gets in the car and I go, I said, hey, I spoke with your teacher earlier. We need to talk. And without missing a beat, she looks me in the face. She goes, this is about the money, isn't it? And on that note, we should bring our guests on. We should. We should. <laughs> you, can I just say one quick note is. Yeah. Um, I'm so feeble minded that I had a hard time following that money trail until the second time that you told the story. <sighs> Steven, Steven, the, the, a six year old girl came up with the scam. Six. Okay. All right. But, but we've also got a, we've got guests that we need to bring on. And we don't need to talk about how feeble-minded I are. I am because we're going to talk about how big-hearted they are. I love that. That's a transition, baby. It was we terrible. got a fellowship in the house. We got Dan Blednick and Oye Carr. Um, Dr. Oye Carr. Dr. Oye Carr. He did not go to school for seven years to be called Mr. I have a... Eight. Eight. Oh, eight. snap. He did not go to school for one year longer than most doctors do. For so somebody you can that call him Mister, somebody that cannot do six-year-old math to call him not doctor. Right. Hey, Doctor Oye. Don't get a heart attack. How you doing? Hi, Dan. <laughs> hey guys, how are you? Welcome to nonprofits. Which one of you guys wants to take the lead and give us the brief elevator pitch of exactly what and who Teak Fellowship is? That's Dan. He's been to Teak longer than me, so he gets to do that. All right, Dan, let's hear about it. Tell us about sure. Teak. So now I'm, I want to donate money to Teak. I'm a big supporter. I have a lot of money to throw around. Get my money, Dan. Sure. Um, well, Teak's been around for um, over 20 years now. Um, it's an interesting story, a sad story that the organization was founded due to tragedy. Um, our founder, Justine Stamen Ariaga, um, was uh, came from Southern California. And the night before her high school graduation, her best friend, Teak Dyer, was brutally murdered. Um, yeah. And and following that, um, Justine was a uh, worked at Summerbridge here in New York City, 
and one of her other students, DeWitt White, um, who was a very promising pianist who played at Carnegie Hall and had a, a, a wonderfully promising future ahead of him, um, was gunned down in a drug deal in Staten Island um, as well. And so Justine founded the organization um, in response to these tragedies in an effort to provide more opportunities for students that may not otherwise have them and try to avoid similar tragedies in the future. Um, and when Teak was founded, um, we started admitting a small group of students each year, and uh, our founder viewed it as kind of a Fulbright program for high-achieving, low-income students in New York City. And over the years, Teak has evolved according with the needs of our students. Um, we admit our students in sixth grade. We help place them in independent uh, day schools, boarding schools, specialized high schools here in New York City, parochial schools here in New York City, and whatever the best fit for them educationally is going to be. Uh, we give the students and families a lot of choice. Um, in their educational path. And that's one thing that sets Teak apart a little bit. Um, and then we stay with the students throughout college graduation. So we're actually a 10 and a half year fellowship uh, we call it in the business a to and through program where we stay with the students through college graduation. Wasn't something we always did, but we found that there was a void in our programming and our college students needed support. So for the last eight or 10 years, we've, we've had a program to support those college students um, and also have a program that supports our students even after college, you know, getting jobs, um, applying for grad school and things like that. So we say when you're part of Teak, you're part of Teak for life. Um, and it's an exceptional program for really great students and families and has, I think I speak for the whole staff where it's made me evaluate my life um, a little bit differently. And I'm certainly not complaining as much when I see our kids grinding and getting after it and doing the things they need to do to be successful. Can I, can I ask, so the, uh, the, the, the origin story of, of Teak. So um, the, it, it remind me the guy's name that was uh, a pianist at, in Carnegie. Do it white. Do it white. And so, um, it, what what was it, do you do you have much backstory of of him or like what uh, outside of being being friends or what what was he what he was, was his a backstory? Student. Like, he how, was a student. He was a student of Justine's um, and was a very promising piano player. You know, it was dealt with some behavioral issues throughout his life, but but when he really focused, he was very talented, very smart, very promising young man. Um, and it was just one example of many sad stories of, of lives that get cut short, you know, when students and individuals don't have access to these kinds of opportunities. Um, there's more about it on teakfellowship.org where you can read a little bit more about our history and learn more about DeWitt. There was an article, I believe in the Times, um, close to when he passed away that can highlight more about his, his life. Okay. Yeah, it is a thing where... Um... I, I I've spoken about it before, but where I'm from, um, most people don't make it out. Um, you know, uh, whether it's drugs, violence, gangs, all that sort of uh, fun and excitement. And it is this thing of um, having a system in place like you guys have put in place for people that are promising. I mean, like, if, for instance, it, let alone outside of like a network that is provided for uh, for these students, like it was actively discouraged to be intelligent in in a environment like that, and to even have people in a network and uh, people around you suggesting that being smart is socially acceptable. Um, that alone is just such a huge asset to have uh, when growing up. And that, and that hasn't really changed even. I mean, I think sometimes our students have to straddle kind of two different worlds, you know, and, and I've heard stories of teach students back in the day, you know, bringing their books home from school in pizza boxes because they didn't want to get, you know, bullied as a nerd for taking their books home, you know, and that's, um, you know, that's something we're acutely aware of. And, and I think as we prepare these students to succeed at, the types of high schools and colleges they end up attending, you know, we want th them to be prepared to navigate those challenges as well. Um, that, that social aspect, you know, that being confident in your own skin and that your voice is just as loud as everyone else at your school, even though you're on financial aid. I mean, that's a big part of our curriculum and that's a big part of the students that, you know, we're trying to produce to go on and be very impactful citizens of the, the city and of the world. And unfortunately, Stephen and, and, and Frankie, unfortunately, right, the schools that students are in here um, in the city, uh, very many of those schools, you know, are, are not set up to really help students succeed, right? You know, if sure. they stay, stay in those schools, um, um, you know, these are bright, intelligent young people with a lot of interest. I've been teaching actually the eighth graders this 
this winter, you know, and they just know so much uh, and are so interested in the world. And, you know, unfortunately for very many of them, you know, they're not going to be served where, um, where they are. Uh, you know, I said this thing about our second staff meeting and Dan, I know, has reiterated it that if we could walk into Teak and and, you know, the ED said, hey, we're closing our doors. You know what I mean? There's there's like schools are good and we, we're not needed anymore. Like that would be a really happy day. I mean, and, and, and I, in fact, we should be working. I think at Teak, we, act, we actively are working towards that. Right. We're working to that day. We can sort of shut our doors because because schools are are equitable and educate mm-hmm. students. Sure. Uh, but until that day, you know, Teak and many of the other, other programs that you've, you know, people you've spoken to uh, on, on, on the podcast uh, were needed to try to bridge that gap and to try to give, uh, you know, really talented and motivated uh, and wonderful uh, young, young kids a chance uh, to achieve their, their best potential. Sure. Absolutely. Dr. Oye, how did you find Teak Fellowship? How did you come to know about them and join the, comp- the, the organization? Uh, well, T kind of kind of found me. Uh, I uh, the, the current executive uh, director, uh, John Green, uh, knew me in high school, uh, and so he uh, has been a friend of mine for a long time. I, I uh, had been living overseas and come back to the U.S. and was teaching uh, high school history in uh, in Brookline, Massachusetts, at Brookline High School. Um, shout out to the Warriors. And um, uh, and John contacted contacted me and, and you know and said that um, he was looking for someone to help uh, lead the middle school academy. That sort of that crucial three years from when they come in in sixth grade and leave to go to their high schools in ninth grade, where we try to prepare kids for uh, you know for what's what's upcoming. Right, these schools are going to be harder. Demand that they you know write at a high level, you know, speak at a high level, uh, you know, they're going to be going to be challenging for them for sure. Uh, but and also the, the culture is different. Uh, and knowing that I had sort of been working at a high school and that I'd been actually uh, at Brookline High School, I'd been working with a program called African-American Latino Scholars, which was actually trying to do the precise thing that Teak does with our public high school kids. We were sort of saying, hey, you're in this program, you're black and brown kids. Um, you know, let's get you ready for your next step. And so while Teak is, you know, open to all students, uh, you know, John felt I had the experience uh, and the background to come in and sort of help create a middle school program uh, that would get students ready for high school. Um, and I had been in New York, so it also was a great chance for me to return to, uh, to Harlem where, where, where I live. So it was like a double bonus to return to work that I love uh, and also to come back to New York. What about you, Dan? How did you um, cross paths with Teak initially and end up joining the org? Similar to, oh yeah, I was living overseas, um, came back to to coach baseball at my alma mater, um, Amherst College, which was a really great experience. I got to get my master's for free, which was a big bonus. Um, and after that initial exposure to the college admissions process outside of my own, you know, I really started to believe even more firmly in the transformative power of education and knew I wanted to empower students that, that you know, needed to have their voice heard. And, and I thought, what, are, what better place to do it than somewhere that, that really focuses on college access, college success, mm-hmm. and, and college support. Um, and I'm, I'm embarrassed to say this, and it shows my age, but I think I, I actually wrote Tika snail mail letter um, <laughs> and, and, and heard back and had an interview and a few months later started the Teak. But I, I remember putting a stamp on an envelope and sending it to Teak, which um, that tells you how long I've been there, I guess. That's cr- I don't I can't remember the last. Actually... I just got an apology letter from someone not too long ago because they tried to devalue me as an artist. But whatever, we can talk about that later. <laughs> you might have um, to send one. You might have to send one to Stephen for what he said about his mustache. Right, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, you know true. what? <laughs> First of all, <laughs> I, sure I never. I will never apologize to Stephen ever. I meant what I. I said what I said, Stephen. I do look like I send snail mail though. <laughs> oh, easy, like, easy, Stephen. Easy. Yeah. Stephen, not can I say only, one thing. One yeah, thing yeah. About the mustache. Um, you know, <laughs> I think Stephen, you got to stick it through because right now you're in what they call it, kind of a dirty phase. Mm, and I think if you if you can just stick it through, you know, you're, you're going to reap the benefits of that. But the other issue you're going to face is you're not going to be able to get that lined up because in COVID times, no one's touching your face, man. Oh, so you're, you're, you're going to have to find like the back alley grooming options or do it yourself. So you have an uphill yeah. battle, but we believe in you, Stephen. We believe in you. I don't. What, what is a back alley groomer? I don't, I don't know, but I, I gotta go to a, 
Yeah, hey, you can Manscape online now, Stephen. Don't let Dan scare you. You can just order something online and Manscape yourself. Don't worry about it. Oh, boom. There we go. Dan's got the questions. Dr. Oye has the answers. I love it. Eight years. Eight years, Frankie. Frankie. Yeah, just just for the <laughs> just for the record, Stephen, you don't just look like you send mail, snail mail. You look like you send snail mail with fingernail clippings in it. Like when you open it up, <laughs> just a year's worth of fingernail and toenail clip- clippings pop out like um, confetti. That's that's. Oh, now I'm done. That's right, back to cheek. <laughs> what, yes. did you, what did you say? Back to cheek. <laughs> now, we're, now we're from all sponsor we're back exactly yeah, right. and we're back yeah, sponsor us manscape <laughs> um so okay so one thing that i that that frankie and i were actually chatting about yesterday that i was wondering if you guys had some insight into is kind of the mental well-being of oh yeah thank you for remembering that i didn't even remind you <laughs> <laughs> but like just the the mental well-being of teachers specifically through the last year um you know we have spoken a lot about how this has affected uh students and how this uh, you know through virtual learning and stuff like that but have you heard much from the teachers themselves and how they have been adjusting to teaching I'll pick that one up. I think that, uh, you know, as I, I had to teach, uh, before I came to TEEK, I had to, I had to teach through the beginning of, you know, a year ago, this, you know, today, I was learning how to teach virtually, right, for the first time, because school, school was closed, and that carried over into our summer academy at TEEK, and then, you know, all, all through the fall. So I think, you know, it's a challenge. I think, I think that teachers have had to, you know, figure out how to be effective, um, in, you know, in this environment. And I think that, you know, teachers are pretty, we're, we've been pretty good. Teachers are pretty good with the technology part, you know, showing videos and using cahoots and, you know, using different things to sort of make your in-class learning, um, you know, more accessible and sort of more dynamic. I think it's been challenging when you're looking at, you know, 20, 30, 40 faces on a screen because you do, you do lose kids. And I think that's probably the biggest frustration for teachers that, you know, this is, and this is, I think I'm linking this to TEEK because TEEK is a high touch organization. One of the things that we do at TEEK is making sure that, you know, we're always connecting with students. You know, we're, uh, you know, just always make, you know, making sure they're okay, always, you know, calling them, always, you know, always seeing them. It's a really high touch organization. And if you're a teacher in a classroom and you've got, you know, 20 plus kids, there are a couple of kids there that need that high touch, right? They, 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 they're only coming to school because they like the other people around. Maybe they like your class and you can sort of say to them, Hey, Stephen, I didn't get your homework, you know, from Tuesday, you're going to turn it in. And you say, Oh yeah, you know, yeah, I'm going to get it to you. And, and, for those students, you know, on the, in the online environment, I mean, they're just gone, you know, I mean, mm. they do show up to your Zoom class, the screen's off and you don't know what they're doing. And many times they're not showing up at all. So I think that's where I think, you know, Teak has, has done an exceptional job that we've been able to maintain this sort of high touch um, dynamic that sort of really characterizes the program and that so many teachers and students are really suffering from the fact that they just feel, feel lost. Mm. How have y'all been able to maintain that high touch? I mean, a lot of a lot of Zoom meetings, a lot of phone calls. Um, the The interesting thing is, after the pandemic, we analyzed how often we interacted with our students and families, and there was just under a fifty percent increase from the previous year, and just how oh, much wow. we were able to engage with the kids, with the families. Um, and that was, you know, kind of an unintended byproduct of what we were going through. And then we found that. You know, there were certain things that we were doing, you know, for example, our parent association, which is robust and important and strong and plays a critical role in our organization. You know, our attendance was was always okay um, because, you know, we had meetings in the evening and people worked different hours and things like that. And when we moved to remote format, um, we were having parent meetings with 70, 80 parents, you know, which was three or four times what we would usually get. And so moving forward, you know, I think there's a lot of things that we've implemented in our our curriculum that we're going to continue to move even we're continue to do even as we move into the post pandemic world, because it just makes it easier for our families to, to stay, to stay with us. And that's, you know, obviously the most important thing. I think that's uh, one of the, one of the biggest takeaways I've gotten just kind of in a general sense from this whole pandemic is that 
there are a lot of ways to do things differently. I think we, we as a society have learned that. And I think that's a very valuable lesson. I mean, I know there's plenty of companies who work from home was not an option. You can't do this job from home. You cannot work from home. And then when we were put in a position and forced to have to do it. I think we all pivoted and adapted. And now we've learned like these new, better, faster ways to do things. Um, and I think that's fantastic. I just wanted to say that. <laughs> yeah, I think we just scratched the surface about what what else is out there that we're going to continue to do. I think we're still, yeah. everyone's still, we're still kind of going through it. But once the dust settles and we could kind of have a staff debrief about, hey, what's working well and what should we continue? There's no better time than rewrite the playbook than, than now, in, in our opinion. For sure. Like I was talking to Steven yesterday, I think it was, or maybe the day. Yeah, I think it was yesterday. Um, and I was just saying, like, for, for example, with my daughter, um, she had some struggles in school, kind of like around social anxiety and things like that. And once that social piece was taken out, she's done better in school. She's got straight A's and B's now, you know what I mean? And still gets that social inter- social interaction with her immediate friend group, which isn't ideal, right? You know what I mean? For a lot of reasons, we should be able to be out and socializing. I'm just saying in this particular instance, as far as her grades are concerned, she's they've gone up you know what i mean which i just found really interesting like oh wow i don't and on top of that i don't have to be like on top of her to do things like she's got her own alarm and her own schedule set up and she's like become this really self-contained responsible person kind of through this which i found interesting yeah it's interesting to see uh different variables isolated and to see like um how people, how people are performing when they are not, you know, whether that is, for instance, using me as a high school student, horrible, <laughs> but um, I was always distracted by all the other stuff going on. You know, um, I was leaving class early to go to lunch. I was, there were fights happening, happening in the bathroom. I had to be there. Like, you know, <laughs> like there's all this different stuff that are just these like, um, these variables that you don't really think of as distractors, uh, but it is. I don't think distractors is a word, but okay. Distractions. Okay. There we go. He's found it. I barely graduated high school. We already discussed <laughs> this. We we're in the process of discussing it. Um, one of the things that um, you guys do that is very, uh, which is very cool, is there is an issue where teachers and every time I even it comes out of my mouth is just bananas to me that like teachers have to pay for supplies. Oh yeah. And if they are not paying for the supplies, very often the kids have to pay for supplies. Um, and just the paying for school in general, like the, it, it's expensive as hell to go to, to go to a good school in New York. Um, I know that you guys alleviate some of that. Like how does that work? Sure. Um, well, we don't, TEAK doesn't contribute toward the tuition for the students and families in our program. Um, all of the schools or most of the schools that our students attend offer very generous need-based financial aid awards. So we'll help the students, we'll help the students and families um, obtain the, the maximum amount that they're entitled to. And if we need to help out a little bit, we will certainly do that. But more important than that, when you think about all the other expenses that go into a student's high school experience, you know, particularly students like ours who maybe haven't played sports before or that much or, or don't have all this stuff already, you know, in their home. And so we want our students when they attend these schools to have the exact same experience as everybody else who attends. And so if they say, hey, I want to try out for the lacrosse team, they may be terrible at lacrosse or never played lacrosse before, but we'll get them a and cleats and helmet or whatever they need to make that happen. Um, Our kids in in college, um, you know, we will um, obviously, you know, give them money for things that they need relating to their academics, but also um, things as simple as like a hockey game. You know, if if that's a big part of your college going culture and it costs 50 bucks to attend a hockey game, you know, we want our students to be able to feel like they can do all the things that their peers can do within reason. Obviously, if someone says, hey, we want to go on a spring break trip, it's going to be like, all right, good luck with that. You know, but um, the the really the important things that are necessary for their education. And I think Oya can talk about some of the similar things we do for our middle school students. Yeah, I just just one anecdote about about college, Uh, you know, when when colleges kicked students out the dorms, you know, last, last spring. So it was, everybody has to go home. Uh, you know, a lot of, some of our, uh, our teak fellows were like, well, you know, I have a fridge, you know, I've got some clothes, I've got a television. I, I don't have, I don't, how am I going to move this stuff? Where am I, where am I going to store it? And teak actually helped um, those fellows, you know, to, um, 
rent vans and get their stuff to a storage area to, you know, to hold on to until they could get back to their, their college dorms, uh, because mm-hmm. many of them also just wasn't, wasn't space, you know, in, in their homes for what they had, uh, what they had in college. So that's what Teak does. Uh, you know, that, that, again, that sort of high touch sort of lets, you know, what, what do you need? And, you know, uh, and let's help you, um, you know, with what you need so that you can really worry about, what we want you to worry about, which is your being, education. being a great student, yeah. taking advantage of the opportunities that are coming your way and making the most of, of, um, of your life. That's absolutely amazing. How do you guys identify your sixth graders that you're going to welcome into, t- or fifth, I guess, rising sixth graders yeah, yeah, yeah. that are going to enter into the program? Well, you know, so Teak, so Teak is, um, uh, it, it, it's really for, for low income students. Uh, and we, um, uh, we've got a cutoff based on a hundred percent of like AMI average medium income, depending on sort of the, the borough. Uh, and so, you know, we go into, uh, we have a great admission admissions team uh, who they, we normally would go into schools, right. And work with counselors to meet kids and talk about the program this year. It's all been, you know, online, online admission sessions, parents come, students come, and there's an application. And we ask students to, you know, show us their fifth and sixth grade report cards. They have to, um, I know this guy said, I, I was, I sit on the admissions committee. We, you know, we had to read 40 applications, you know, this year, and they, they're a set of short answers and then a longer essay. Uh, and we really want to know, you know, who these students are. And then we get in the room, we argue about it. Right. I mean, and there's seven of us and I was on the, one six side of a lot of losing arguments, right? So, I mean, but sometimes I'm, I'm in the six one side. I mean, you really argue about the kids. You get to know them and some of them you think are going to be wonderful, wonderful for Teak and, you know, and other folks don't agree and, and, and vice versa, right? But you're, uh, I think we all have, even though we're looking at the same stuff, we all kind of have maybe our different sense of, you know, what makes a great Teak fellow. But I think we're all, all in agreement that what we're looking for is, you know, kids who have demonstrated that they're hard workers, uh, kids who have demonstrated that, that they're thoughtful and sort of think about, about the world and the kids that need the opportunity as well. I, um, I, I understand this is not what it looks like, but I, in my head, was envisioning Animal House, <laughs> where, where it's just a bunch of people drinking beers and throwing beers at a, at a throwing darts at the wall. Yeah, that's right. exactly what it does look like. I sat in on one of their meetings. I didn't want to say it because we're know, live. Steve, I don't know how you figure right. it out. Uh, um, yeah, it's I. It is incredible what you guys are doing. What What does it look like as far as like? To have such a high touch, you guys have to have a very uh, structured hierarchy in place, right? Like just like a chain of communication. Like, is it uh, somewhere where the high school kids and the college kids have communication? Or, or do you, Oye, do you have, is it just kids under you? Do you have people under you that are taking care of certain grades or how, how does that kind of hierarchy work as far as well, being? Yes. Yeah, it's a great question. We have a deaning system. So every, you know, we have a, a, a number of deans, uh, maybe six or seven of us within the organization and we have a caseload of students. And that's sort of how we, you know, we have this high touch method. Like those deans are always in contact with their, with, with their students and talking with their families, talking with mm-hmm. the students, you know, checking on their grades, making sure that, you know, things are okay. We sometimes, sometimes we say we're having a round of meetings and let's not talk about school. These meetings are just to sort of talk about, you know, mental health and how, and how, and how kids are doing. And so we might, you know, in, in a certain month, just kind of decide that that's what we're going to focus on. We'll meet with our, with our, our caseload and we'll just talk to them about, you know, how, how life is going. Uh, you know, sometimes we will meet with all of our kids at once and have like a game day or, you know, or, or meeting where you play a I game. I want to go to the game day. Yeah, it can be a lot. Or, or sometimes we meet individually if we feel it's what, what, what the student, student needs, you know, just individual meetings. But uh, I mean, Dan can speak about it at the, at the, at the older age, but in middle school, it's really about, you know, just again, just maintaining that contact, not having periods of time where, you know, they go, I haven't heard from my Teague Dean in six weeks. So, yeah. you know, I guess nobody really cares what I do. You know what I mean? Like you're just always, always reaching out and, and checking in. Sometimes that's 15 minutes, you know, 10 or 15 minutes, honestly. And sometimes it's like an hour. Right. right. This stuff I, is going on. I used to volunteer. Also- I, I used to volunteer for an organization that I won't name, but um, where we had a um, 
Oh, I don't know how to say. I had a, a kid that I was uh, supposed to be like mentoring, right? But because of the way that it was set up and the way that his uh, family had requested to work with us, I was only able to see him like it was like every three weeks or every like once a month or something like that. And this kid is 10 years old, 11 years old. And that gap of time, every single time, it's like meeting him for the first time. Like, you know, um, so it is cool to have uh, touch points that often. And, and Dan, I'm sorry, what, what were you saying? And then that mustache did not help. I'm sorry, Dan, go ahead. Okay. And also um, real importance of communication because whoever is on the student support team, um, Teak is in touch with, you know, and so we will reach out to the advisors at school. If the, if the student attends a boarding school, maybe the dorm parent, uh, the Teak mentor, you know, we provide all the students with mentors in middle school and that's a way people can get involved. And so, you know, we will loop in everybody. So it's really not just us and the student, it's us, you know, ascertaining all this information and then using that to, to help support the student. And when it comes to that, that kind of high touch um, model, Stephen, the interesting thing is we, we recently expanded and we started growing we started growing our classes to around 50 students as opposed to 30. And that was a few years ago. Um, and during that strategic plan, uh, we talked to our alumni, you know, all the students who have gone through the program about this idea of admitting more students, uh, expanding our reach, you know, impacting more families. And they said, well, Teek, you know, that sounds like a really great idea. But here's one thing you can't do. You can't reduce the ratio of students to Teek staff. Hmm. So we took that to heart. You know, we, we, we now have more people on staff than we did a few years ago. And that ratio of around 30 to one is, is what we're keeping intact, even as we continue to grow um, to ensure that, that a teach student in the 24th class, which we're admitting right now, you know, has the same kind of experience as someone who is in our first, second or third class. And, and that's right. something that that's very true to teach and what really makes teach stand out, I think. Let me just add to that really quick, too. I mean, because, I mean, you know, we're living through COVID. You know, you got your va- your vaccine. Uh, Stephen, congratulations. I- I've had both of mine. I think, Dan, you've had, you had yours? I, think Dan's I had haven't had mine. Fine. Just I say it out like loud. These, hey, one of these things is not like the other, <laughs> yeah. right? It's like, New oh, York, yeah. baby. Yeah. <laughs> Dr. Oye, I helped you. Remember before yeah. the whole yeah, show started? Was, you know what? I, there's a letter in the mail. Okay. Thank you. But you know, one of my, you know, we, we have these COVID affected, you know, students and, you know, one of my advisees, um, you know, lost a parent to COVID and, mm. and um, you know, and Teak, you know, like, I mean, I'm mobilizing, I'm speaking with her counselor at, at school. I'm speaking with her mentor. I'm speaking with her. I'm meeting with her, with, 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 with her family. You know, I'm sort of trying to have all these different touch points to kind of say like, you know, how's she doing? You know, what does she, what, what does she need? Uh, right. I'm, no, I'm noticing this. Are you, are you noticing it uh, too? Um, and so it really is, uh, you know, it, it feels actually, it, it feels impactful, right? It feels like that I'm not sort of just like saying, oh, too bad for this student. You know, I wish I could do more that I'm really gathering you know, all the adults and people that I know care about the student, you know, and sort of say, you know, what, what, do we, what do we do to make sure that they get through what obviously is a super hard experience for a young person? Incredibly. Um, I want to, so I just want to kind of go back a little bit um, to something you said, and then I want to ask you both to give us an impact story of, um, you don't have to say the names of, of who, but uh, of a student who, you know, just made a huge, you made a huge impact in their life. But um, I just want to go back to something you were, you, you were talking about earlier, Dan, about how you guys want to make sure that all of your students have a well-rounded experience as they're going to school. So they, you, you make sure they have things like if they want to join a sport, have all the appropriate accoutrement that comes with that and so on and so forth. And for anyone watching that doesn't think that that's an important piece of the puzzle for school, uh, when I was going from eighth to ninth grade, I had I auditioned for the cheer squad and um, and I actually auditioned for the cheer squad and the dance team and made both teams. Right. And was super excited and was like, OK, this is going to put my high school experience on track. I'm going to round out my, you know, my education. I'll, I'll be able to do my classes and I'll make friends through, you know, cheer and, and those kind of things and kind of acclimate myself properly to the high school experience. And not even kidding. The first practice I went did amazing. And then they, they, we had to sign up on this, on a phone tree, right? This is before cell phones, kids. We had to sign up on a phone tree so that everyone had, we, we all had this paper with everyone's number. And if anything happened, then it would be your responsibility to call the next person and so on and so forth. Right. And um, the second week of practice, my mom couldn't pay our, our house phone bill. 
And so our, our phone got cut off. And so I, I couldn't ever go back to cheer. You know what I mean? Like I, I missed all of the information. So things like that are paramount for kids. Like it's so important. And that significantly altered the trajectory of my high school experience significantly. Um, and so I just say that to say that even on that side of the things that you guys do, those little touches are huge. Oh yeah. I know yeah. I would, I, yeah. I 100% would not be alive if I did not play sports. Uh, right. So you get my, it. Yeah. All my friends that were getting into severe trouble were getting into trouble as soon as school got out. That's where all the fights were. That's when all the stabbings happened. Um, and I was tied up with sports. And right. so I, I know without fail or without any uh, hesitation, I know that I, I would not be alive today if it wasn't for sports in high school. For sure. And can you guys the, can, I'm sorry, go ahead, Dan. No, along those same lines though, when it comes to just this kind of stuff that he can provide um, the, the, the work with the work that we're doing with the older students, our college students, the students who've graduated from college in terms of internships and things like that has really evolved and been remarkable over the last few years, because, you know, what we kind of found is that, even if you go to a great college, you know, even if you attend an Ivy League school or a really prestigious school or you attend any school and you're doing really well, getting straight A's, um, getting that first job out of college, getting those internships, if you don't have that network, if you don't have, those, yeah. you know, is tremendously hard, you know, especially yep. for a first gen student from a low income background. And so uh, we have one dedicated staff member who, who his job, you know, is, is to hustle and grind and, and find those opportunities for students and, and connect them with opportunities just like, you know, just like would be happening if that student came from a really wealthy family in Manhattan. Right. So, you know, that's something that I don't want, I don't want to sleep on because it's really, really important. And seeing the job, we had kids get jobs in the middle of the pandemic, first year out of college in the middle of the pandemic, getting full-time jobs. That's um, bananas. We, we our, our summer, our, our, a lot of our college students, um, they were, um, they, they weren't able to work over the summer. And so Teak um, came up with over, you know, $114,000 to give them stipends for, you know, work that they did virtually during their time in college. Um, oh, wow. And, and, and things like, you know, eliminating that work study ex- or the fact the summer earnings expectation, you know, a lot of colleges removed that for the students, but they still had things to pay for when they got to school. And so, you know, that's just another example. Like, you know, sports equipment is one thing for our younger students, but now we're talking about like life changing, life altering opportunities that, that the students hard work has enabled them to access through Teach Network. I love that. We are um, unfortunately at the end of the show. However, before we go, I want to hear, Ken, which one of you wants to give, because I think we probably only have time for like one story. Can one of you guys um, decide who it's going to be and give us an amazing impact story that brings me to tears? Go. It's going to be Dan because he's been, he's been around longer than me. So Dan, you got, you got this one. Oh God, I have so many, Frankie. Um, I'll make me cry. Okay. You got to make me cry. I'll give you a recent one. Um, okay. All right. April, you know, April last year, New York city was scary place. You know, I'm trying to do my job at Teak, but, but worried about everything that's going on. Uh, worried about my family, worried about everything. And, you know, we do a vibe check with my kids just to see how they're feeling. And I, and I, have, I found that my students were checking in on me more than I was checking in on them, you know, which I, which I thought was amazingly powerful um, and gave me a lot of perspective. But one student in particular, you know, I said, Hey, how are you doing? She said, my mom's a healthcare worker in Queens. So now I say, okay, you know, this student has it worse than me, you know, so I don't have anything to complain about. Um, and I said, all right, you know, I'm prepared to now make, try to make her feel better or tell her things are going to be okay. Or tell her to only worry about the things that you can control and, and give her some heartfelt advice. And, and before I even got there, you know, I said, so what's, so what, how are you, how are you doing with that? What's the plan? And she says, well, good news. I started an organization. And I said, well, you did what? what? And she said, oh, it's called Shielding Our Defenders. Uh, you can go to shieldingourdefenders.org. She's telling me this. And, and she goes, I really wanted to, to, I wanted my mom and the nurses in Queens where she works to have the PPEs that they need. And oh, so damn. she raised over $40,000 with a few of her high school classmates, Sh- shipped wow. over 25,000 masks. This is all while I was still freaking out about like Lysoling my potatoes that I brought back. How old my- is this student? She is a senior in high school as we speak. Can you tell her that the nonprofits love her? We would love to interview her anytime. Oh, yeah, we'd love to have her on. That's in oh, she's incredible. A she's a champ. Yeah, she would love to come on. She's great. Yeah, Seriously, going. we need to spotlight this girl and like get her some money. Like that's well, incredible. That's only one. I, I could give you a couple hundred of those if you want. So. That I, I do want. We'll, we'll definitely have to have you guys back on. And I almost, seriously, a tear almost came out. Yeah, you almost came out. Yeah, it almost, 
You saw, right? You I saw, did. I saw it. Almost, it almost came out. Um, just my cave, react- Frankie. Yes. Uh, yes, I do have a heart inside here. Um, so I just want to say thank you, Dr. Oye. Thank you so much, Dan. We thank cannot you tell you. We love the education space. I'm just going to say that. And we've had many groups on here. We love all you guys. I think it's so incredibly important that students, kids that are in areas where they do not have the advantages that others do, that they get those advantages and be able to live to their full potential. I cannot say how important that is and how, how um, close to my heart that is personally. So what you and do driving, driving the importance of education at an early age. Yeah. It's just, it's incredible. It's incredible. Chef kisses. So thank you guys so much. We love Teak Foundation. Thank you. Comedy Hub, Jared, we appreciate you. Sorry, Stephen, go ahead. Great to be here. Have a great evening. Thank you so um, much for having us. And let's uh, one time, where can everybody find you guys? Where can everybody give? Where can everybody volunteer? All in one spot, teakfellowship.org. All one word. You can go there, learn more about ways to get involved, learn how to donate, and learn more about our amazing kids. And uh, on behalf of Teak and our whole community, thank you, Frankie and Stephen, just for the opportunity to talk more about Teak, but what you're doing for all our peer organizations, because we do a lot of collaboration with these other organizations. It's not a competitive environment. We're all striving to to do some of the same things. And um, what you're doing for our whole nonprofit community, we we really appreciate it. So thank you. Oh, my gosh. Shut up. Thank you so much. You think you guys, you better stop. It. Get your teak on. Uh, get your teak on. Uh, get your, get your, get your, get your, get your, get your, get your teak on. Uh, I, <laughs> I'm Frankie French. I'm Stephen Campbell. And this is Nonprofits. We'll be back next uh, Tuesday at 6.30 p.m. right here on the Comedy Hub Twitch channel. Shout out Comedy Hub. Thank you very much. Oh, follow, like, do all the things yes. on all the podcast stuff. <laughs> I always forget that part. I do too. And we're still live. No. <laughs> and now we're done <laughs> thank, thank you guys, guys. so